Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com on the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. Blair Hodges, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Glad to have you on. Uh, for those who don't uh, know who Blair Hodges, uh, who you are, why don't you give us a brief uh, bio of some of the things you've done and, and what you're involved in? Um, well, I just graduated this year from Georgetown University, my degree, master's degree in religious studies, and right after that I got a job with the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship at BYU, and uh, I do their um, public communication. So basically I take care of the blog, Facebook, Twitter, podcasts, and, uh, and I also have time to do some research of my own, and uh, I work on the new Mormon, uh, the Mormon Studies Review. Um, and so they keep me busy looking at book manuscripts and, and all sorts of things. So, uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing. Wonderful. Well, we're glad to have you on. The, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about were some of the things you just mentioned. You, uh, you work for the Maxwell Institute and that used to be known as farms. And, uh, the Maxwell Institute has, in a sense, become a little bit of a different entity over the last year or so. And I know that they've kind of taken on the impetus to to kind of head out in a in a brand new direction. Would you mind sharing your thoughts on on that? Yeah, um, I would say that as far as the institute changing, I mean, we we still have our core uh, objectives going on that that haven't changed at all. Uh, we have the Middle Eastern Text Initiative, and that's a translation series of Jewish, Christian, and Islamic texts. Um, we have the uh, Laura Wild, uh, excuse me, the Laura Willis Center uh, for Book of Mormon Studies, and that uh, takes care of the journal 
uh, Journal of Book of Mormon Studies, and we have the Center for the Preservation of Ancient Religious Texts, and and uh, they look at uh, Syriac literature, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and other ancient texts, and uh, digitize those and do publication and research uh, on those. and And so those those initiatives are ongoing. Um, the Farms Review became the Mormon Studies Review, uh, I believe, last year, and. Uh, and now uh, the new editor, Spencer Fluman, uh, he's here at BYU, uh, is directing the journal more in, in, in the direction of, of something that, uh, that can be used for people in the academy as far as how Mormonism, Mormonism is being studied in the academy. So, um, so that's, that's kind of what we do. Uh, the, the mission statement's uh, pretty similar to what it was before. Um, just to, uh, I'll read it here. Mission statements are, you know, they're not the most exciting thing in the world, but this will kind of give people an idea. Uh, our mission is to deepen understanding and nurture discipleship among Latter-day Saints and to promote mutual respect and goodwill among people of all faiths through the scholarly study of religious texts and traditions. So, so I, I kind of see our mission as twofold. One, we, we cater to Latter-day Saints, educated Latter-day Saints who are interested in, in deepening their understanding of the faith. Um, and then we also uh, do work that benefits people of other religious faiths, um, especially uh, uh, Ju- Judaism and, and Islam. Uh, so, so that's kind of what we do, and uh, I'm I'm really I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm really proud to uh, to be here. Yeah, it's, it is really cool to see the the way, and I understand what you're saying, right? The majority of what you guys are doing is the same, and and yet every once in a while, little things have to be tweaked, and and sometimes little changes in a in part of the focus here or there will change. I remember being, uh, I joined the church at 17, which was actually 18 years ago. And when I joined the church and going to church bookstores, you'd always have these brown stapled together pamphlets that were farms and Hugh Nibley uh, publications and having read a lot of those. Um, looking at some of the things you guys are doing recently, one of the relationships you formed is with the Salt Press. And what uh, what's that relationship all about? Yeah, so Salt Press, uh, they actually started out as an independent press. They they uh, they were started up by Adam Miller, uh, Jenny Webb, Robert Couch, and Joe Spencer, and they wanted a place to do um, Book of Mormon scholarship that was a little bit different than what was being done elsewhere, that focused more on on the contents of the text, so close reading of of the scriptures, um, more than uh, say discovering uh, ancient parallels or um, or doing like you know linguistic analysis of names and things like that. Uh, they were more interested in, in reading the texts from a theological perspective. And so they founded their press. They actually shopped it around, they, including uh, uh, a visit to the Maxwell Institute or an attempt to get the Maxwell Institute interested a couple of years ago. At that time, um, the Institute didn't take them up on it. So they started their own thing, and uh, they've been put, uh, holding yearly seminars uh bringing a group of of uh, students together to do close readings of the scriptures and then making a book out of the the proceedings of those seminars and uh they they're just really impressive books and so um folks at the Maxwell Institute uh, noticed what they were doing and decided the, these are some of the things that that we would want to do through the institute and so they um brought those titles in they're going to be the titles that they've already published will be republished um, by the Maxwell Institute, and then the four SALT founders are on a board, uh, acquisitions board, um, and they help um, bring new titles into us. So they've been proposing new titles uh, over the past couple months, and uh, so that's kind of the relationship we have with them now. So we'll be uh, republishing their past books that are uh, really good, and then uh, they're bringing in new books as well. 
Wonderful. What are some of the new uh, publications you guys uh, have completed, and what are some of the forthcoming ones that are uh, on the way? Um, for, for example, Joe Spencer, Joseph Spencer wrote a book called An Other Testament, uh, and it's a, it's a really interesting book on the Book of Mormon. Uh, he does a close reading of the Book of Mormon and finds some really fascinating things that I, that, uh, I had never noticed before. Uh, so we'll be republishing that. Um, a forthcoming title, uh, I think one really good example is Jad Hatem. He's a, a non-Mormon scholar who uh, wrote a book on the three Nephites, uh, the Mahdi and the Bodhisattva, uh, uh, <laughs> the Bodhisattva, sorry. Uh, this is uh, a book that's, um, that's sort of looking at uh, the Book of Mormon from a, a non-Mormon perspective, and, and it's going to be really interesting. We also have uh, Jim Faulkner's series of, uh, of books, the, the Book of Mormon Made Harder, uh, Doctrine and Covenants Made Harder, and uh, yeah, so... <laughs> And what's really so so instead of simplifying things, we're trying to make it more complicated. Yeah, it's sort of a uh, I think a recognition that sometimes um, you know a lot of the books that we see are like you know the Book of Mormon made easier, right? And right, so right. he comes to it and says, well, you know, let's rather than sort of doing that, why don't we um, ask different questions of the text? And so the the books are really uh, a series of of really interesting questions and. Uh, they're the type of thing that that I think could be really useful, especially for like um, you know Sunday school teachers who, uh, because it's not presenting new material uh, or new arguments, but rather coming up with very interesting questions. And uh, I think one of the things that um, that church leaders would would like Sunday school teachers to do is uh, lead lead discussions rather than 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 teach you know rote lessons. And and questions are are central to that. So so I see. Um, Jim Faulkner's work is is really useful in that way of of bringing really interesting questions up that 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 will make you think and so I think that's kind of the benefit of his series so uh so I mean that kind of gives you an idea of of uh, what's coming as far as what uh, what salt has been uh, bringing in right and that's pretty amazing when you talk about uh, some of these projects that are essentially taking the scriptures and in the stuff we've got in our church and rather than teaching to the lowest common denominator Let's start making things a little more exciting, a little more intense. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's one thing that the Maxwell Institute has wanted to do for years, and that, that we still want to keep elevating that that dialogue. and And that's just uh, that that's that's what we're here to do is is to, you know, these are the types of things that are that probably wouldn't be published by Deseret Book or something um, because they are, uh, you know, on a little bit higher of a reading level or um, taking sort of a different approach than than what you typically see. So. Uh, I think it's a really valuable addition to um, to what we're already seeing in LDS publishing. Awesome. I read somewhere in preparation for this interview that you uh, that your beard was voted as one of the best beards in Mormon history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's sort of like home team advantage. Like it, it you know, this poll happened <laughs> on the blogs, and so you know, right. all my blog friends, I'm sure. Uh, Tilted this scale. So I didn't. I don't. You know. I think Orson Pratt ultimately defeated me, and and you know he, sh- he well deserved his. You should check out some of these pictures of his beard. It's like it's huge. Yeah, you know, in a in a church today that uh, you don't see a whole lot of beards going around. Uh, it is interesting when you start to look at uh, past leaders and some of the beards that they carried. Some of them were pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, another little couple of side notes uh, before I get into some really good questions. Uh, uh, pertaining to to church history and people who struggle with their faith, I also read somewhere that you're in a band. I yeah yeah I am in a band. We haven't played together for a couple months, but yeah. And in the name of the band? Uh, the band is Jiminy Finn and the Money Diggers. 
Now, as I saw that name online, the first thing I thought of was Joseph Smith and his treasure digging. Is is the band name a play on that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. Now, who, who's Jimmy Finn? Uh, I just made him up. I don't uh, – okay. he's this old man who leads the band. It's sort of like a Sergeant Pepper type of a situation, I guess. <laughs> we were just like throwing out – I mean, I had the idea for the Money Diggers. We, we came together to think of names and that – and I brought the Money Diggers, but then they weren't fully sold on it. They were just like, oh, I don't know. It seemed, it's kind of like blasé. And so I just started throwing out like, well, how about, you know, whippity do and the shoebop shoebops or something like that. And then it sort of <laughs> merged into that. So so Jimmy Finn isn't the lead singer. It's just, no, it's just part of the name. Yeah, he's a, maybe he is, you know, maybe he is. Okay. That's the mystery of it leave, all. Leave some intrigue. Yeah. That's right. Well, good. I uh, I uh, took a chance. To, it actually wasn't the last couple of days, but there was a time where I took a chance to listen to some of the the demo songs on uh, on a little release, I guess, of some short clippets of of your music, and, and really enjoyed it. So I wish you luck with that. I know it's got to be tough. I'm assuming. Are you still in Maryland? Are you in uh, Are you in Utah? Yeah, I've, we moved back to Utah. I, I finished up school, and then we came back. And I I grew up uh, in Utah, so. Gotcha. You were just in Maryland for school, and your band is in Utah as well? Yep. Yeah, so okay. we took a break while I was gone. We actually finished the album right before I left, and then and then uh, <laughs> just in time. And then, you know, now we're back. We just we kind of need to get back into it. We want to play a couple shows or, you know. Awesome. Hey, I also read where you were on, uh, I don't know how I want to say this. I don't know if you want to say the circuit or what, but you were with, with Brother Bushman and Brother Givens in some presentations that they put on a few years ago. Uh, right. Well, I was part of the summer seminar. They they do a summer seminar every year. It's actually held here at the Maxwell Institute, um, and it's on. It started out with uh, when when Richard Bushman was working on Joseph Smith Rough Stone Rolling, um, if I understand correctly, and this was a way for him to uh, bring in students who could provide. Uh, multiple sets of eyes as he was working on the project. And then it uh, became this uh, Mormon culture seminar every year that he and Terrell would uh, would host. And so I had the chance to do it. I believe it was in 2009 uh, I applied right after I'd got my bachelor's degree. And um, so it was the first uh, academic seminar I'd ever really participated in. And uh, it was held here at the Institute, and it was awesome. I know that uh, in 2008... Uh, Brother Bushman did a seminar called Joseph Smith and His Critics. Were you aware of that as one as well? Yeah, I actually uh, had the chance to come down and see uh, when they did the – at the end of the seminars, they do a conference where the participants present papers, and I was able to come down and, and um, watch that. So I guess I want to kind of go into some discussion on, on I guess, people struggling. Obviously, you know, my my podcast is based around – people who have doubts or having a struggle of their faith and how they, they deal with that. And I recently interviewed Brother Bushman and Brother Givens, uh, and those interviews will be releasing shortly, but just wanted to get your thoughts having participated in some things with them, what your thoughts were of, uh, of those two brethren. Well, I mean, they're, you know, they're excellent role models. They're excellent mentors. And, um, I mean, it was, it was pretty surreal, uh, when I did the summer seminar, I, you know, I, I was un, unknown. Now I'm still unknown, but but back then, especially, I I barely had a bachelor's degree, and I had become interested in all these things um, by reading their books. And all of a sudden, I was sitting in a room with them and um, and talking about their research and and doing some of my own sort of under their tutelage. And 
you know, it, it was it was really incredible. Um, there there was never a sense of, um, of of needing to paper over any difficulties or um, you know or anything like that. It was it, it was always an atmosphere of, of open uh, inquiry and and you know uh, I I can't even begin to to you know to tell you how how many up and coming mormon scholars these uh, these guys have have helped uh helped along the way there are so many um there are so many people that are now doing mormon studies or or working in their own academic fields that have graduated from that summer seminar and uh even, including spencer fluman I, I mentioned him he's the new editor of the mormon studies review i think kathleen flake was a participant before uh, she was well along her own uh, academic path at that point, but but it was kind of a touchstone for her to participate. Um, so there are a lot of people who have kind of gone through that experience that have emerged in and made really important contributions to the field as a result of that. So I, I, I kind of see them as as really excellent mentors, um, very faithful, but also very open and and, and understanding. And and they uh, they also include uh, non Mormons in in this seminar. So it's not something where you have to. Um, have a certain theological perspective or, or bear a testimony before you can participate or anything like that. This is this is something where scholars come together to, to look at church history. So uh, it's a powerful right. experience. Yeah, and I and I appreciate the idea you get across, which is that those two men are pretty much when it comes to the church and its history, an open book. I mean, they they don't mind almost any question being brought forward, which which takes me to the idea of them two going around uh, with uh, Terrell's wife Fiona. And putting on these faith crisis firesides, which I know you're familiar with as well, and and wanted to get a feel for, I guess, from you, how you think those are being received, and and you know what your thoughts are on those, and and then I want to kind of get into maybe a couple of questions on how you handle um, some of these difficult issues, if you don't mind. Yeah. So this is um, a, a thing that they're doing. I believe it's referred to as the Temple Observatory. Uh, seminar or temple observatory group or something along those lines. It. And I think yep. what, what that refers to is something Terrell has written about where, uh, uh, when the, you know, when the pioneers set up here in the valley, they staked out where the temple would be and, and they got that, uh, under, underway uh, being built. And then Orson Pratt built a observatory, uh, right near the temple, uh, and where he would do ast- uh, astronomical observations and whatnot. I think he had a telescope and these types of things. And so this is the idea that faith, you know, the temple kind of represents faith and the observatory sort of represents reason. And this is uh, uh, bringing those two things together as as something that 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 Mormonism is is set out to do, uh, to bring faith and reason into conversation with each other. And so at these things, they they sort of talk about um, this phenomenon of faith crisis uh, that, that people are experiencing where they learn unsettling things about church history and it and it affects their faith or makes them question um, their membership in the church or uh, whether the church has been forthright about its history and these types of things that's that can be troubling and then they talk about that as a as an issue and, and sort of how to work through those types of concerns and uh I had I haven't actually been to any of the actual meetings. Uh, I've heard some uh, underground bootlegs of of them that, that you can get online, and I had the chance to interview um, uh, the Givenses about it as well uh, on the Maxwell Institute podcast, and uh, sort of talk to them about 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 the the meetings that they have and and uh, 
and so I think it's a really interesting phenomenon that that they've got going on, and and uh, I hope it continues to spread. I, I think it's a a powerful thing to engage these types of things in a group setting, um, and these meetings give you the opportunity to to do that. I think one of the problems with with faith crisis experience right now is that a lot of times people go through it alone. Um, right. They don't necessarily experience it with their whole family or with close friends, but rather on the internet or, or, uh, you know, on Facebook or some discussion groups or blogs or something. And so I think these seminars that they do, or these, these meetings that they do sort of bring people together into a communal setting, almost like a fireside or a church meeting. And I think there's power in that. I think that, um, being bodily present with other people, um, can, can enhance that experience of, of solidarity and also, um, comfort in the face of, of challenges. So, uh, I think it's a really great thing, um, especially to to do it as 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 meetings rather than just putting out articles, which have their own place, but but can't do the same. I think as a as an organized meeting where people go meet together and commune. And now a brief message from one of our sponsors. The sponsor is a regular listener to Mormon Discussion podcast. He has written the book Seventy Seven Days in September. It tells of a story of a man overcoming countless obstacles to reunite with his family after a terrorist attack disrupts the United States. 77 Days is based on a real threat, and while not LDS fiction, it is suitable for an LDS audience. It has sold over 75,000 copies, spent five weeks ranked in Amazon's Top 100, narrowly missed the New York Times bestseller list, and has over 1,800 reviews with 90% of reviewers rating it four or five stars. If you like to read books, you will love 77 Days in September. 77 Days in September is currently available as an ebook for just $3.99 from Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Smashwords. Please show your support for this sponsor of our program by purchasing his book, 77 Days in September. And now back to the second half of our episode of Mormon Discussion. Right. You make, you make a good point, which is if you look at the ward level or say a branch level, which would even be more difficult, you might have one, two, maybe three people in that room who are deeply aware of the difficult issues, who are thinking deeper about some of these questions, and, and they really don't have anybody else they can go to. They're they're afraid to talk about these things because, one, if they're the only one that knows, all they're going to do is risk doing damage to someone else's testimony, and two, since no one else knows, they're, they're not going to get good answers from the people in their ward and so a lot of people do keep quiet about this. And realizing that you're a smart guy and, and you're reading into church history a lot more so than, than say, the average person who's a member of the church, how did you handle growing up and beginning to research and look at and think about and listen to others discuss some of these difficult issues? How did How did your faith transition from a very naive, simple view that we sometimes get out of the manuals to being able to talk about and think about and and interview people about these issues that are way, way deeper than we ever get in church. Yeah, I, I, for my experience, um, I actually got interested in church history, like in a more deeper sense on my mission. Uh, this is probably one of the benefits of serving stateside and not having to learn a foreign language is you have extra time to read and study. And uh, I I'm, I was an avid reader before, so um, I'd gone through the missionary library umpteen times in Fortunately, had a mission president who recognized that and 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 said, you know, uh, why don't you branch out a little bit and you know you can read things as uh, you know appropriate things. Uh, you know. And I purchased uh, Dean Jesse's 
collection of personal writings of Joseph Smith. And this is a really big book, a uh, collection of, of Joseph Smith letters and things like this. And it's it's done in in sort of documentary format, so it retains all the spelling and, and has a scholarly apparatus with these funky uh, annotations and, and weird symbols throughout and stuff. And I, I this is the first time I'd ever seen anything like it. And, and it was fascinating. Uh, I'd never felt like I, I never felt that close to Joseph Smith before. This seemed to give me really close access. And so that sort of lit the fire for me. And um, I don't think I ever had a time where I had some sort of faith crisis where like everything just sort of came to a head at any point. For me, it just was, some, you know, just just in my faith walk over time. uh uh, you know, I, I would learn different things that might be troubling or um, I, I sort of got into apologetics right after my mission because of that. Like, uh, like that's how I got involved with FAIR initially. And uh, so that that sort of played a, a, a crucial role at that time in my life. But again, there was never any moment or any any point I could I can never I can't point to a day or even a month or anything like that where, oh, this is where I made the decision to continue to have faith or anything like that. I, um, Carol Given sort of talks about um, faith and doubt as existing in order for us to be able to make choices that are morally uh, fraught, that we can choose that way. And I haven't experienced faith that way, I don't think. Um, my experience in some ways has been more like Rosalind Welch discussed in, in the FAIR conference this last uh this this year, um, where she sort of talked about, you know, she's religious, not necessarily spiritual, and uh, it's probably I've probably been more like that than 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 Terrell's uh, description of of a faith crisis. But uh, I don't know. Does that kind of give you a, a sense? I guess uh, it it does. I mean, you look at uh, I guess part of the issue is this: there, there are certain people who are kind of naive to the issues, and then all of a sudden one day they're playing around on the internet and they just come across everything all at once. And they're not really prepared for that, where it seems like more what you're speaking to is this was a, a gradual increase in learning by you over a long period of time. And so there was never this mountain of challenges, but rather little tiny hills along the way. And, and as you climb over one after the other, sooner or later you look back and you say, wow, I've, I've gained a whole new perspective, but it was never an overnight. Yes, that thing. was for me like, okay, so when I, when I would, when I thought of myself as like an apologist, right, I, I worked with FAIR as a volunteer, I started their podcast, and I thought of, okay, so there are these criticisms, and then we answer those criticisms. That's kind of the framework. And so through that, obviously, you're going to hear a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I did that for a year or two and heard <laughs> just about any, boy, you know, it's anything anything you can think of. Uh, and right. And initially, my instinct was to debunk and to like push back on all those things but it becomes clear fairly early on that that some of these criticisms uh or some of these worries have have some substance behind them and so for me it became a a matter of contextualizing things and not in a way that just dismisses the difficult things but that helps me to understand more the way things work so um so my questions sort of shifted from you know, did Joseph Smith dig for gold or something to what did that mean for him to do that? And, and, uh, and so I, I, over time, I just sort of became less defensive about that. I think it's kind of the, like, I think the band name is rep, sort of representative of that. Why be ashamed of these things? Just 
just like just own them. The, right. Joseph Smith himself could sort of joke about, yeah, I was a money digger. I didn't make a lot of money doing it, but <laughs> you know. Uh, and so I, I kind of think that uh, that rather than than being so reactive to it, I, I wanted to learn more about it, and that's sort of where I made a transition to. When I decided for graduate school to go into religious studies, it was for that reason I, I wanted to learn about asking different questions about religion in general uh, and not just um, responding to criticisms, but sort of taking control of the narrative and, uh, and learning to do it in, in a scholarly way. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how, how it all shook out for me. Awesome. It, uh, it, it sounds like too, you know, when we, when you look at that process that you went through, that the church as a whole has kind of taken steps to go there. And what I mean by that is you mentioned the whole idea that, you know, when you first joined FAIR or you first get into apologetics, there's this desire within you to just simply stomp out any critical statement at all, just to essentially say, hey, that's an anti-Mormon lie that's just full of propaganda. And then the reality comes in that some of these things that critics bring up are actually factually based. And we'll find a lot of times in wards that whenever someone brings up something that nobody else in the room's heard before, that's the first thing most people jump to is, hey, this is an anti-Mormon lie and it's, it's stuff we should stay away from and, and it's evil. And, and that doesn't do any good because then when someone comes to terms with the fact that there are some facts in there, all of a sudden they see the members of the ward as being uh, unhelpful to helping them put context around those things. And it looks like from General Conference, for instance, uh, and I want to ask you before I guess leading this question, but what do you think of General Conference? Um, well, you know, for me, President Utorf was obviously a standout. Uh, I wasn't able to watch all sessions. We have uh, some things going on at, uh, this weekend, but um, but the priesthood session and uh, and President Utorf's uh, Saturday uh, address was was very powerful to to hear him stand and and talk about. Um, you know, mistakes that have been made in the past by the by the church, by church leaders. Uh, that's not something that we hear too frequently or frequently at all uh, over the pulpit. So um, I thought that was really impressive. And that's the one I wanted to point to. So I'm glad that that's the one that caught your eye as well. When I, I listened to Elder Uchtdorf's talk, he did some things that I don't think have ever been done before. One is to acknowledge that those who leave the church have the right to essentially follow truth wherever it leads them, even if it leads them away from something we find to be beautiful. He also talked about how members who struggle don't do so because they're lazy or desire to sin, which a lot of naive members who don't understand the issues, they want to jump to those very easy black and white ways of describing why people fall away. And and I wonder... If the church, using his talk kind of as a backdrop, and maybe Elder Hollins from the previous conference, if the church as a whole is moving in this direction where we we kind of validate that there are some criticisms out there that, while maybe not true contextually, certainly hold some water on the surface, and that by doing so, we kind of do what Brother Bushman talked about, which is to not necessarily uh, destroy the critics, but to essentially just kind of soften their grip. Uh, any thoughts from yeah, me? Yeah, um, actually, a couple of years ago, uh, Elder Hales gave a, an address on defending the church. It, the address was called Christian Courage. And what really impressed me about that uh, sermon was that he talked about um, the fact that the ch- someone had asked him, why, doesn't the ch- why isn't the church more proactive in answering criticisms? And his response was that, uh, that sometimes the Christian response is to... Uh, to return 
you know, to return good for evil sort of a thing to, uh, you know, Jesus, when Jesus was questioned, there were times when he just simply didn't give a response. Uh, there were times when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, there was a time when he, and this is really interesting, Elder Hales notes that when Jesus overturned the tables at the temple, that this was a, a very specific incident uh, in Jesus' ministry, and that Jesus exercised his divine, divine authority in doing that. And that's an authority uh, that, that that no apologist has. Uh, we're not Jesus, and we we aren't the ones that uh, that can go turn tables over. This is this is not the paradigm example for apologetics, but rather the meek, uh, loving response. Elder Hale's top is how we respond. And so when I when I think about the few conference addresses that that directly address uh, questions of apologetics, that's that's the one that I go to first. Gotcha. And that's good. I, I think often we'll take one line out of the scriptures and use it to justify a whole method of doing something, when in reality, like you say, using the example of the, the money changers in the temple, you know, we have one instance of the Savior acting, uh, and I guess in a way that, I don't want to necessarily say angry, but it's in some ways it was, as he tries to clear out his father's house and make it a holy sanctuary that it was supposed to be. But the rest of his life is filled with, like you say, this gentleness, meekness, kindness, this charity, Christ-like love. And uh, and we ought not to use the scriptures to, one scripture here or one scripture there to kind of justify where we stand. I want to kind of start working towards wrapping up. Let me just say the, uh, say one more thing sure. about sort of Please. you were talking about the church itself sort of moving in this direction. I, I just want to add to that, uh, Elder Christofferson, his... Um, Devotional address at BYU Idaho. Uh, I think the week before last, where he talked about the Joseph Smith Papers Project and the church being uh, more forthright with with our history. And uh, I, I really liked where he said, "Look, we're, we're we're bringing new information to light, and that raises new questions, highlights new uh, I think like areas of inquiry that we can look into. Um, but at the same time, we we shouldn't always expect to know all the answers. So he encouraged patience and, and these types of things. But the idea that he would bring up, look. Um, there are going to be some difficult things that we find out. Uh, is really interesting to hear coming from an apostle. And then you heard President Nukdorf's uh, address during conference that acknowledged difficulties in church history. And then uh, another thing that's really interesting that sort of flew under the radar, Thomas Alexander, he's an LDS historian, he wrote Mormonism in Transition, uh, a book about the turn of the century church when it sort of turned from this rural polygamous group into a American... Um, monogamous uh, tradition, uh, and, and he recently published a biography on on a prominent Mormon. Uh, and Elder Holland wrote the foreword for it. And I, I I don't think I've ever seen. I can't think of another recent Mormon history book that has a foreword in it written by an apostle, by a sitting apostle. But this book right. um, mentions things like post manifesto polygamy. Um, Baptism for health, you know, that we no longer practice, uh, prayer circles, shifting expectations about the word of wisdom, changing temple recommend requirements, uh, and, and difficulties in, in the church's relationship to the state of Utah's that became a state. So it has some pretty frank discussions in it, um, discussions about depression, uh, and these types of things. And here you have a foreword by an apostle that says this is a great book. Um, so, so I think we're seeing these types of things more and more frequently, uh, and, and it's really encouraging, I think, to people to to know that that, that the the apostles are aware of these issues and and being more forthright with them. 
Yeah, you you mentioned Elder Holland, and you mentioned in this book that uh, Brother Alexander wrote about about depression, and of course Elder Holland's talk on the uh, Saturday afternoon session was on depression, and and one of the things he did that was really neat was whereas for the last I don't know couple hundred years, anytime someone was depressed, we t- simply told them to get over it and move on, and and to just uh, just to you know work themselves right out of it. Uh, Elder Holland kind of put a squash to that as the Dominant way of handling it and recognizing that it's a way more complex issue than we give it credit for. Yeah, that, that was an excellent address. And I wondered if, if uh, maybe the the discussion in this book had had helped that along. I think obviously his own experiences uh, helped that along as well. But what a what a refreshing uh, sermon that was from Elder Holland. And, and I think that goes to the root of it, which is the more experience we have with people who are different than us, the more experience we have with cultures outside of. Uh, the Wasatch Front, the, the more we get to know people and the difficulties they have beyond just the the simple way of maybe seeing things, I think the much more apt we all are to being empathetic and being understanding, certainly standing our ground on doctrinal issues, but but at least wrapping our arms around people and not seeing them as the bad guy and trying to understand them in the, in the place in their journey that they're at. I, uh, I want to kind of work here towards the end... A couple other questions. One is the Neil A. Maxwell Institute has changed a little bit, and I don't want to get into all the things that have happened, but I do want to ask this. Does, does the Maxwell Institute still see itself in the business of apologetics, or is it, is it kind of out of that and more into uh, an educational focus rather than necessarily defending the faith specifically? Yeah, I, see, for me, I don't see the two as being mutually exclusive. I, I think that through all of the, the controversy in, in these the issues that have have sort of been discussed on blogs and elsewhere, um, you know, the institute is people have said that the institute's no longer interested in apologetics and these types of things. It's not a matter of of not being interested in apologetics. It's a matter of looking at the contemporary climate and assessing uh, the kind types of questions that people have and the types of approaches to answering those questions that are effective for people. And for us, um, we're not planning on chasing around the critics. We're not we're not interested in um, policing any boundaries at, uh, or 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 going around and anytime anyone says something strange about the church to sort of play critic whack-a-mole. Um, right. But rather to be proactive in the types of things we do. So I think by just by virtue of the fact of of, of publishing better and better work um, that can engage people in a thoughtful way will do more uh, in the line of apologetics for the church than pretty much anything else we could do. Um, and the Mormon Studies Review itself will continue to uh, publish critical reviews. It's it's not a matter of never disagreeing with anybody or or never um, reviewing negatively any uh, any books or anything like that. But uh, those evaluations will be done. Um, you know, according to contemporary academic standards, it won't be a matter of whether anyone's Mormon enough or whether they believe in the atonement correctly or, uh, you know, these types of things, but rather uh, an assessment of the of, of the work from an academic perspective. So will the Institute still be doing apologetics? Yeah. Uh, and, and we haven't changed that. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's a really controversial issue and, and anything that uh, that we say about it causes you know, reverberations and a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of 
a lot of there are a lot of hurt feelings and, and it's a difficult thing. But from from my vantage point, uh, this is the type of apologetics that I became interested in initially through my work with FAIR and then moving into my uh, academic work in school um, is the type of proactive apologetics that that uh, that that presents thoughtful discussion of of the faith um, and gives people something to to nourish their testimonies with. Um, and yeah, occasionally there will be books that need response to, and, and we're not averse to doing that. So um, yeah, it's di- it's you know it's difficult to to explain without seeming to criticize people that uh, that laid the groundwork before me. In, right. In, no, and I completely get yeah, it. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, it, I, oh, go ahead. It'd go ahead. be uh, ungrateful of me not to uh, acknowledge all of the all the work that's been done before I got here, and um, I, I feel like. Uh, the Maxwell Institute and farms before it uh, played a big role in my becoming more interested in thinking about religion more deeply. So uh, there's there's a lot of great stuff that the Institute and farms has done. And, and one of the things I want to do in my job is to, to highlight that stuff going forward. So on the blog, I'll be pointing to excellent works from our past. Um, we're coming out with a new website. I don't know when this episode will, will go up, but uh, the new website should be out in October uh, and it'll have all of our back catalog, so all of our previous publications will be available in more formats than ever before. We want this stuff to be available to people. Um, so you know, so it's it's not uh, it's not a completely new place. We're we're uh, you know we're just we're really just looking to do good academic, good solid academic work. And the people that were here before us uh, believed that as well. Yeah, I, I can really appreciate kind of your thoughts there on the on the direction of the institute. It, there's certainly different um, types of apologetics, and there are some instances in the past, I think, where somebody would do something and all of a sudden all the focus had to go into that. And I think, and I think there's some value. Sad in- to me is that, that, that on, on, by and large, most of what the Maxwell Institute and Farms produced was, was high quality work that, that still, um, can use attention. But then there were also, you know, these more, uh, aggressive reviews that sort of have become the paradigm examples of what farms used to be and, and what the Maxwell Institute was. And I don't think that's fair. Uh, I don't think that those things should be completely representative uh, at all. At the same time, when you approach something with a with a bitter tone or with an aggressive tone or or if you're flippant or sarcastic or um, you're trying to parody things or be funny or be entertaining, you're sacrificing, uh, you're sacrificing solid academic engagement for the price of, of entertainment. And, right. and so in the past, there have been examples of, of, things, of things that were just not good, not good ideas, not appropriate. And, and we are, we're not interested in, in perpetuating those things. At the same time, those things from the past are not, are not representative of the of everything that the institute did, not by by a long shot. So um, uh, so it's kind of a you know there are kind of two things there. It's, number one, yeah, we've we've published things in the past that that I'm personally not proud of speaking personally, or that I think were uh, were inappropriate. At the same time, there's plenty more that was published that I think you know, people can still benefit from. So yeah, we got to be careful. We don't lump. All apolo- you know, all LDS apologetics into one box, uh, because you're right. There have certainly been different approaches, and and sometimes people will speak negatively of LDS apologetics, but in reality, 
they were they were either upset or burned by just you know one or two articles or or a couple over here or there that that like you say gave apologetics in general a bad yeah. name. It's it's all the more reason to be more scrupulous in in kind of the way that you approach things. Yep. And at the end of the day, I mean, as we're studying issues, as we're as we're intellectualizing ideas and researching into different principles and ancient texts and, and a lot of the other things that the Neil A. Maxwell Institute's doing, you know, the church if the church is true, the church will stand on its own two feet. And there's no reason we have to go necessarily headhunting after after people, but recognize that if we just in an open, honest dialogue say, Hey, here's some of the issues, here's some things we're thinking about, here's the context and the way in which things work. Almost invariably, there's always room for faith, uh, and I and I see that maybe as a little bit um, of what you guys are doing in in dissecting some of these ancient texts, in um, doing some of the work that the Maxwell Institute is working on. There seems to be this idea that once you get down to the bare bones of things, there's always room for faith, and there's always interesting things to be found that correlate to the things that we believe in. Yeah, I think I think so too, and and I think that's like you said, the work that we do in other uh, in texts of other religious faiths can be just as fruitful for members of the church to to look at. I mean, the article of faith says that we seek after anything that's uh, lovely or of good report or praiseworthy. And, and Joseph Smith encouraged Mormons to gather up all of the good and to, to bring it in. Um, yeah. And he, well, this will sound like heresy, but Elder Uchtdorf even told us to go after truth, and truth is not just to be found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but it's to be found in multiple facets of the world. And so we shouldn't we shouldn't expect to read text of other faiths and not find truth in them, and perhaps even truths that we haven't quite put our arms around yet within our own faith. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the idea that uh, we're supposed to go out and gather up all the good, I don't think that means we just look for Mormonism in other traditions and then just sort of earmark that and be like, oh, see, they agree with us on that. That's good. Right. You know, I think that there are things that we can learn yeah. from other faith traditions that we uh, that we don't emphasize in the church. Awesome. For people who want to listen to the uh, Maxwell Institute's podcast, how can they find you, Blair? Yeah, we're on iTunes. So if you go into iTunes and just search Maxwell Institute podcast, it will take you to it. Or if you go to um, maxwellinstituteblog.org, uh, at the top of that website, there's a list there that includes podcast. If you click on that, it will it will take you there. Um, and then and every time we do a new episode, we put a post up, kind of like the Fair Blog does. And you can subscribe. There's uh, an RSS URL there that people that uh, that don't use iTunes can use if they want to subscribe through their own software. Pretty cool. Um, the blog you said Maxwell Institute uh, blog dot org, and that would also be beyond just podcast episodes. That would be other things that the Maxwell Institute is working on. Updates uh, on those, correct? Yeah, uh, it's blog posts from different scholars here at the institute. Occasionally, we'll submit a post on whatever they're working on, and then I do different posts on like book notes and small book reviews or highlighting, like I highlighted Elder Christofferson's. Um, devotional uh, and, and that sort of thing, and then news and announcements. And We had a great series on John Sorensen's new book, Mormon's Codex, where we did some sneak previews from the book that, um, that Matthew Roper put together. So there's all sorts of good stuff on there. Awesome. Any other things that the Maxwell Institute's working on that uh, if listeners are interested, they would uh, have access to or be able to check out? Um, I, I do recommend the Mormon Studies Review. The uh, Volume 1 will be coming out this December. You can subscribe to it now. Um, and, and it's going to be awesome. We've got some reviews of, of some really excellent uh, 
books. Uh, I think uh, uh, subscription yearly subscription is thirty bucks. Um, that obviously goes to support the work at the institute as well. So uh, that that's what I'd recommend. Um, and then uh, we also just keep your eyes open. We're going to have some announcements coming up soon about some books that we're going to be putting out. So um, just watch the blog and or follow us on Facebook or Twitter and. Uh, and we kind of keep you updated that way. Excellent. Blair Hodges, thank you so much for taking time out of your day-to-day uh, to be on this podcast, and uh, I really appreciate all the work you and the Maxwell Institute are doing. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming My Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of to rescue me from danger interposed his precious precious blood oh that day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face clothed then in blood-washed linen how I'll sing thy sovereign grace come my Lord no longer tarry take my ransom soul away send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day To grace, how great a debtor Daily I am constrained to be Let thy goodness, like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above.